On this episode of Sega Talk, we are taking a trip to the dark side as we talk about Sega's answer to Mortal Kombat, aka Eternal Champions. We will look at the extreme character designs, talk about the crazy spin-offs, canceled titles, and did you know that Eternal Champions had its own slushy flavor? All this and more on Sega Talk. SegaBits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what's up? Hello and welcome to Sega Talk, episode number 95, getting closer to that 100. I'm your host, George. And like always, with me is Barry. I was trying to send ESP through, but it didn't work. Oh, I don't know. Is that oh what well, you, hello. Is that what you were trying to do? Well, I just thought with all the, the game we're covering, it feels like it's a lot of cool guys with superhuman oh. abilities, and I got nothing. That's th- that's true. That's true. Um, this is. I don't know if there's a lot of like cool guys with like you know that kind of power, but uh, there's a lot of immortals in this. Uh, uh, episode. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, let's get into it. On this episode, we're going to be doing a de- uh, diving deep to the dark side as we cover Eternal mm. Champions on this Patreon pick. Uh, and like always, if you want to support the show and you want to make us talk about games you want us to talk about, you could always <laughs> force us. Yeah, force us. Uh, you can check us out on <laughs> Patreon.com/slash Sega Bits. This episode was uh, picked by Joaquin Branch. He did not send us memories, but usually if you pick an episode, your memories will be read before us. Since uh, I'm sure he's going to, I already know what he's going to say. This game is fantastic. It has great characters, great (laughs) stories, great history. Uh, It was uh, Sega's Mortal uh, Mortal Kombat, right? Um, So let's, let's get some info about this game before we get into our memories. Um, Internal Champions was a 1993 fighting game developed by Sega Interactive and published by Sega. One of the most notable things about this game, it was developed during a time in Sega's history where they were trying to get this like American side established, uh, trying to get their own image out there. Some of the titles that pioneered the American side of Sega were Toe Jam and Earl, Comic Zone, Vector mm-hmm. Man. Uh, Internal Champions also tried to uh, capitalize on the fighting game genre. Which kind of started, you know, getting really big in 1991 with Street Fighter 2, and then later with Mortal Kombat in 1992, and then this came out the year after, so it kind of makes sense. So Barry, what's your history mm. with Eter- Internal Champions, and what do you think about the franchise now? Um, my history, I, I, it's—I don't really know if I have one, but it's a game I've al- always seen but never really got into. I would see it at the video stores. I'd see ads for it. And I'm, and we've discussed in the past how, you know, as a kid in the early 90s, some, sometimes you weren't really aware of who made what game. I mean, sure, you could look on the box and see like a Capcom or a Sega, but were kids really that invested in like publishers and developers or did they just play what looked interesting to them? And then years later, they were like, oh, that was a first party game? Oh, the guy who made you know comic zone you know like there's a t- connection there i didn't know that 
I mean, to be quite honest, even in the mid to late 2000s, I was like confused as to why stuff like The Ooze was on the Sonic Mega Collection. Like, I wasn't aware of what uh, STI was. So, I'll be honest, like, Eternal Champions was just like another Sega fighting game. I wasn't really into Mortal Kombat, so I wasn't really into this game. But I did buy the sequel to Eternal Champions some time ago. And again, showing my ignorance, I thought it was just Eternal Champions on Sega CD. So I thought I was just buying the first game. I think <laughs> so. I, whoops. You know what? And with the way Sega CD works, you know, they had like Shining Force CD. Uh, they had other ones where it was just the Genesis yeah. game on the Sega CD. So like if I bought it, I would think the same thing you did if I didn't know. Um, right. It's more like an expansion, I would say. I, I don't want to get into it because I do have some notes about it. But uh, mm-hmm. um, I would say the game is the same thing as with you. I didn't really have it. I've seen it because it was so advertised at the time that you had to see it sometime, right? And we'll get more right. into the advertisement. But I remember the ad for it. I actually remember kind of wanting it growing up because i was kind of into like killer instinct i thought was sick i thought uh, moral combat was cool because it was the game your parents and the news were like don't buy this game this game is not for kids and obviously as a kid you're like uh this is the game i want for christmas um so that that was for me moral combat what what was your parents opinion on moral combat because there there was kind of like a uh a craze during this time to be telling kids don't buy these violent games You know, that's a good question. I mean, I don't ever recall my parents telling me not to play it. I remember going to friends' houses and playing it. Mm. And I remember it being, you know, one of those kind of taboo games. But I also played Wolfenstein 3D on our computer at home. And my dad played that and loved it. So, I mean, shooting Nazis and, like, visible blood and stuff, like... You know, I, I guess Mortal Kombat probably was not a huge deal for them. I think they were maybe happy that I wasn't too into it. Just, I wasn't turned off by it. It wasn't just, it was just that I just never sought it out. I was like, oh, I like Sonic. <laughs> you know? Yeah. This is how it uh, was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, me, it was like, uh, I was kind of disappointed with Mortal Kombat. I felt like it was a little overrated. Like, I think when you said, like, those ID soft games, those early ones, I think those were more violent than anything Mortal Kombat did. But then again, right. when I did get a copy of it or did play it at home, not in the arcade, I played it on Super Nintendo. So, of course, I was going to be super uh, disappointed at that point, right? Right. Um, super Nintendo is a super disappointment. Uh-oh. I've, um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, let me fix the pictures because I screwed them up. But uh, outside of that, I remember it having like really bad like uh, controllers that was when i finally did get to play it i was actually kind of disappointed and you know you know what when i went online and i looked at people talking about it one of their more disappointing things was um basically that the grab i mean the art style a lot of people make fun of the art style and i'm like i kind of like the art style yeah it aged badly yes it's 90s but it's almost like saying, oh, I don't like the uh, classic Mickey look because it's from the 50s and uh, that was a long time ago and the 50s don't matter. And I'm like, yeah, but I kind of like that 50s art style. Same same cheesy reason I like these art. Like this guy has these the, – oh my god. I don't even want – we'll get into it when we talk about the characters. Some of these outfits are ridiculous. Um, let's talk about <laughs> development first. Um, while most places online list uh, eternal champions being developed by Sega, including Wikipedia, 
The studio responsible mm. for the game was actually Sega Interactive Development Division, SID with two Ds for short. Ooh. And it had a few other names, including Interactive Designs and even Sega LA at one point. While the studio was mostly known for Eternal Champions, the studio was founded way back in 1984 uh, by a married married uh, couple called Rod and Nancy Nakamoto under uh, the name Interactive Designs. It's funny, though, because Rod Nakamoto, if you actually look up his name and you put Sega and, you know, use Google, he has a public, yeah. uh, he has a public Facebook profile and, like... Uh, so you could he's still around, he's still posting. He has a list of like a gajillion companies he's founded. Uh, so uh, Rod would build the company from the ground up to 50 employees for nearly a decade and work with publisher, publishers such as EA, Activision, Sierra Online, Data East, Cinemaware, Capcom, Nick, Sega and Disney. Uh, near the end of 1992, Sega would go on to acquire the studio because uh, they were basically using the studio to full capacity when they were developing Green Dog, the beached surfer dude. Uh, according to uh, Moby uh, Games, uh, I think Rod actually uh, did the editing for this because it's like he had 60, 65 employees under Sega Interactive, made 26 SQs. And brought in <laughs> and brought in a revenue exceeding two hundred and fifty million dollars. Um, Interesting. I think we talked about the studio a little bit in our Star Wars arcade episode. Uh, they made one ah. the uh, Star Wars the arcade on thirty two X, I think. So, um, what's your, I mean, you know what? Like when I looked at the Wikipedia, and you can see their their uh, soft their uh, soft goggography on their uh, Wikipedia page. This is very much one of those studios where they're like, um, I don't know, like a lot of misses. Their only big hit was Eternal Champions that really brought in money. They handled licensed games. It seemed like they were one of the studios that would do a lot of like at early ports to computers or something like that. I think that's mostly what they did. Uh, what's your opinion on this, these type of studios? And also, if they're making a quarter of a billion dollars, you would think that you know they wouldn't be closed all of a sudden, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know my my opinion on these types of studios. I I don't, I don't really know. I mean, <laughs> what what's your opinion? Yeah, I, like, I think they're it, they're interesting. It, they're interesting in Sega's, but it's one of those studios where it's like you were like basically next to these studios that were pumping out hits, like. Even though when right. we talk about those Japanese studios, like they were doing Alex Kidd, you'll see their disog- their like the, their uh, you know gameography, and you'll be like, oh, I see that game was pretty popular, even though I didn't like it. Or this game was with this studio, I'm like, oh, you had a Star Wars game, but you had the license, okay, um, right? Yeah, and then you were like, oh, Eternal Champions, and then you see, oh, that's it. You had no one's gonna remember the Green Dog, <laughs> the Surfer Dude. That's all. Right. I mean, well, I guess my take on these types of companies is it's it's a, it's a business to them. It's, you know, this isn't like there's some more art house. I mean, this is no warp. You know, it's not like D, D2. They're they're pumping out like super personal stuff um, from a singular vision. 
it's not even like I would say STI where it's just in amazing game creators making amazing games. Mm. It, it seems more like a studio that's just trying to make money in an industry that's a good place to make money in. And they did well. I mean, but if this wasn't an, a Nintendo podcast, I think we would be talking about a lot of um, LG, LJN games. Mm. And I wouldn't say this is like an LJN level company, but it's, I don't know, it, it's kind of getting there. <laughs> I don't know. There's some stuff on their, their gameography that, that makes me raise my eyebrows and go, really? Yeah. Yeah, it feels like it's one of those studios that Sega kind of wanted to build up to do something grand and saw something there. Right. And I don't know, I, I don't think it worked out because I feel like, like I said, their only big hit was Eternal Champions. I just, I remember renting Bonkers and hating it. I remember renting, or I own Tailspin and thinking it's kind of a janky game. Like the music freezes constantly because too many enemies fill the screen. <laughs> you know, it's just... Yeah. Garfield games, eh. and it, and it's like Eternal Champions. The controls are stiff. The AI leveling is not that great. It's like they were they had some aspects of game design. Like I I think they were probably better at making you making the product look good than it was actually playing good. I think that was the issue with this studio. But yeah, it's one of those weird studios that does we don't talk about a, a, a lot. I will say that Sega Interactive as a name was actually was uh, brought back. In the 2010s, mm. by Sega for their, I guess, movie division, I think it was, or was it their arcade games? But they also, again, uh, Sega Interactive is not a thing anymore. But it was a thing for a while, for like uh, right. a few years ago. So I think they retired it in 2020 when they did the restructuring. But yeah. So yeah. usually when we talk about uh, video game development stories, usually like for these kind of games, there's not that much info to go on. Uh, and it probably would have been like that if it wasn't for a few interviewers that actually took their time out to talk to people from the studio. Uh, Arcade Attack Retro Gaming Network on YouTube has some great uh, audio uh, podcasts with some of the people fr from the studio. And Sega 16 did some like 15 years ago, really great interviews uh, written out. Written oh, out. Nice. Um, I will say though that um, some of the most interesting interviews came from Scott uh, Bearfield, who you who did the original 10 script, the 10 page script for the game. Um, I I actually looked up more info on Bearfield after the uh, and uh, apparently him and uh, Michael. Uh, Latham, who actually became the producer, they got in a fight because Michael actually changed everything about the game that he actually wrote. And this is what he had to say mm. about the game uh, Scott did after he left Sega and quit the company because of the changes. He said, the game, it was boring. The art was boring. The controls sloppy. It felt like it was developed by people who had never played a fighting game in their lives. The product that shipped had only three things in common with the original concept as approved. It was a fighting game. It had the same name. Shadow, the female assassin, was the original concept and, the and in the final product. The original idea was to go way over the top and make really crude, funny, and artistically striking game with really tight controls, basically ripping off Street Fighter II's control scheme. The characters were all designed after an artist named Simon Beasley, who uh, I think he did the, lo <laughs> the Lobo stuff, like that kind of art. 
Mm-hmm. I tried to get Simon to do the art, but he was booked for more than a year doing comics and couldn't do it. The characters were supposed to be larger than life, heroic types, but with humor. For example, the barbarian fighter had flies buzzing around him at all times, and his idle animation, including scratching, inappropriately. We also <laughs> were uh, going to have mini games for training your character. These were all really very silly, based on abusing dwarves, not human dwarves. These were nasty, brutish, etc. Imagine X Men Danger Room with dwarves with knives. Basically, okay. <laughs> yeah. Basically, the game sh- <laughs> ships sucked all the f- uh, flavor out of the game concept. And while it, it uh, they did some sort of innovative control things, the execution was sloppy. The CD version was improved. But I think they made a pretty blah product. Uh, so he obviously quit the company when he actually read the bigger, longer script by uh, Michael uh, by uh, Michael Lat- Lat- Latham. And also, he he passed away last year, Michael, uh, in April. That's 10, right. Yeah. Twenty twenty one. So uh, rest in peace. And there's an interview, like I said, with uh, Arcade Attack Retro Gaming Network that uh, he did before he passed away, and it's actually. He, he, I, I listened to the whole thing, and he really goes into the idea that yes, all this stuff he said right here, the, these three, co- like it was a fighting game, it had the same name, and they had Shadow the female assassin. Yeah, uh, Michael went in and said, yeah, I changed it. Yep, um, he kind of took ownership and said that he thought he had a better idea, and that he purposely pushed it, like he he submitted it, and he's like. Oh, I know they can't change everything I did on the script because it's too late into development. So he played his hand and he said he was pretty ballsy when he was younger. And that's why he rose the ranks in Sega. So it worked out for him, (laughs) right? So, yeah. Right. So, and he, Michael also talked about how most of the script had a lot of dwarf references and like wanting to use dwarves. I don't know. So, what do you think? Do you think a dwarf heroic barbarian type game would have been better than a i don't know like because in internal champions these characters come from any time period so right yeah i i mean i will say a, a kind of dwarfish character works really well when it's an ensemble game like golden axe i think um i'm blanking on his name it's thunderhead right yeah that's his name yeah like Gillian. he's like He's iconic to the point where he kept almost making the cut for All-Stars Racing and All-Stars Racing Transformed. But when you have a whole game of those types of characters, I'm not really sure what you're going for. That's that's kind of bizarre. Yeah. and um, With knives. <laughs> and it's like he did a 10-page one, right? So l- let's talk about uh, Michael's uh, uh, take on it. So during development of Eternal Champions, Sega Interactive had two in-house teams, one named Alpha and the other Omega. Omega would be uh, would be the team that would go on to develop Eternal uh, uh, Champions. Michael Latham would work around the clock on script and ideas for the game. He turned in over 100 pages of ideas to Sega Interactive, upsetting producer Scott. Uh, so what would someone put in a script for a hundred page script for a fighting game? Well, according to the interview, <laughs> 20 pages of it were dedicated to the story. So you got to understand Scott came in with 10 pages and this guy's like, Oh yeah. Anyway, here's a hundred pages. It's kind of hard to go like, Hey, but those go against my 10 pages when 
Obviously, one person put in more work, more ideas. They fleshed it out. He had 20 pages of story. So just 20... Right. It was double in length just the story of the characters. So he obviously got the job. Uh, Scott quit. Uh, what's your opinion on um, in-game fighting storylines? Like, my, I think a lot of people take them, like, super serious. Like, oh... I think they, the characters could be fun and they could add a little spice to them. But I think, like... Right. Going too deep might ruin it. It's kind of like Sonic. You have to have some right. fantasy where you could put your own thoughts, right? I think, and I'm not jumping to the end of the podcast, but I, I think Eternal Champions is a very ambitious game. Yeah. But I think it's ambitious in almost all the wrong places. Mm. Uh, you see this often with video, not just video game development, but like media in general where the creatives behind it will be super passionate about an aspect of the project, but it doesn't always shine through in the final product, especially in a fighting game where, sure, you can sit down and develop a backstory and these interconnected things for these this cast of characters, and it sounds awesome and works out great, but once you execute it, especially in these older games, that doesn't come across to the player. So it's like all this time and energy spent is really just so that, like, a giant lizard makes a little more sense in the roster to you as the creator of the game. And my opinion on stories in fighting games, I think games like Power Stone and Virtua Fighter do it best where it exists there. It's hinted on. You can read it in manuals. You sometimes see it in like maybe the anime adaptation or something like that, but it's not super essential. Mm. Like Pete the Puppet is a really weird Power Stone 2 character. But if you read the backstory, like, everyone's place in the game makes sense and why they want the Power Stones. Yeah. It works. And if you and if you pick a character that you like, you might read up on that character and go, oh, this is why uh, uh, Fokker is going after this. This is why Fokker's dad is in the game. I call him Fokker and not Falcon. Sorry, Americans. Um, but in this game, like, man, 20 pages developed. Just for the characters. I mean, I've played some weird-ass fighting games, and I didn't need to know why characters are there. You know, it's... I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I agree, but... And you know what? Like, I'm not into the storyline of some of the characters. Mm. I like the characterization. I know. And those two things are different, right? right. People don't really get it. Like, does Sonic have a deep story? Not really. Uh, is Does he have a good characterization that people like? Yes. Um... And I think for me, fighting games is more about the characterizations. Like right when you pick the character, how they act by their movements, you know, and their animation, like the cocky character, you know what I mean. That that right. that to me is means a lot more than having a twenty-page story for the character where his mom died and his his dad didn't graduate college, so he had to go to a really bad school and he didn't become the best fight. You know, like I, whatever that doesn't right. matter. That so, sounds like the the plot for the upcoming Flash movie, I think. Right? Is that still coming out? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I think so. In three, in two or three years, if Ezra Miller doesn't beat up the entirety oh my God. of Hawaii. Oh my! He might move on to <laughs> that. A should movie. be a fighting game. That should be a fighting game. So he can take him down. <laughs> Ezra Miller versus Hawaii. So oh, I guess brother. I'll read the story. I do have a page of it from the manual, but it's so hard to read on my smaller screen. So I googled it real quick. Um, Welcome mm. to my chamber. I am the eternal champion, mm. keeper of the vast fighting complex. 
It exists in a place and time corrupted by centuries of misuse and destruction. My purpose in this grand scheme is to maintain the balance between good and evil, light and darkness, hope and despair. Now, (laughs) this balance has been lost and the very fabric that holds the world together will be torn apart. Your future, my present, has been destroyed by a cruel and unjust twist of fate. Nine individuals from various periods in time were killed before their lives could affect this dark existence. I have observed each of their short lives and have been powerless to stop the chaos. I have spent centuries harnessing the power of this very moment and I am pure and untouched energy of all the great martial arts masters that have lived before me. Their skill, wisdom, knowledge, and inner strengths are at my command. Even with the force of their collective powers, I can only reward one of the nine individuals with the gift of life. Any of them can have an equally profound effect on the future. For this reason, the contest must take place. At the end of the contest, only one will remain. The victor will return to to life a few seconds before his death, allowing him to avoid the past with the knowledge to change the future. Only one may live so that the balance may be again achieved let the contest begin so as you can tell wow. it's uh they're summoning heroes from different points in time that were unjustly murdered so that gives every character kind of a reason to fight to go come back to life and that's why this right. game is called eternal champions uh and you know what mm. i will say the name is probably one of the best things about the game, like Eternal Champions. It's like, oh, cool. It's, it sounds like a fighting game right away. Um, right. So that's one of the best things they did for the game. Um, I'll, so as you can tell by the story, it has nine playable characters. Uh, I would say a lot of their plots, and um, we, we'll just probably – I did put a bunch of the, their plots, and I'll go through a few of them. But there's so much writing, I think it'll take too much since I have eight pages of notes and a lot of interesting stuff to look at. So we'll just kind of talk about the art style, which I think it we'll we'll be grading it like as kids looking at a start menu, and we're about to we're about to pick a character, and what goes through our oh, mind okay. right away when we see it. So the most popular character in this game is Shadow Yamoto. She's the oh, dominatrix. Oh, Shadow the Hedgehog. She's the dominatrix. Oh, also, also I forgot to add, every character, most of the characters have an actual real life. Uh, martial arts that they know that's kind of like virtual fighter you know they they uh, it's an actual thing uh not all of them yeah. so uh shadow y- uh, yamoto is a modern day 1993 at this time uh is from and she was basically thrown off a building because she worked for a organization that she was gonna rat on that she was an assassin for and they threw her and i'm not even kidding it says it it says it on her notes from a 101st floor building, not 100 feet, not 100 floors, 101 floors. These guys got her on top of a 101 story building and knocked her out. Like, can, like was that one floor really needed to kill her? I guess so. But uh, what's your what's your opinion on her look? She looks like a, like, not Marvel or DC, but like Image Comics Rip-off. superhero, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, yeah. in the 90s when they were like, oh, blood, young blood, blood raven, gas mask. Or like, um, what was the uh, the Daredevil Electra movie? Electra, yeah. <laughs> and she has a domino yeah. mask that, like, the Robins wear. 
Nice. And uh, next we have uh, this guy's name is Rax Coswell. He's a professional fighter from the year 2349. In this time period, apparently martial arts are on the way out. So fighters are putting robotic parts on themselves so they could uh, lure people to come and see their fights. He uh, gets a virus. He gets a virus put into him when he's fighting his championship fight. And right when he's about to get hit, the, uh, the manager does it. So right when he's about to get hit, they put the virus that shuts him down and then he gets killed by the punch. He knows Muay Thai fi- uh, kickboxing, and um, I don't know. This is actually the more interesting bit. I like the idea that like there's a moment in time where people are like, "Ugh, f- humans fighting to the death is so boring." You know, it'd be sick if they had robotic parts that way they could kill themselves faster. Well, and I feel like we've talked about this movie on like way too many second talks yeah. now. But Alita: Battle Angel yes. is just like that, yes. where they're like. It's almost like boring to get these, like to us watching, we're like, oh, it's amazing. Look at that. He's just a human head. The rest is robots. And and everyone else is like, oh, I see you got a new new add-on. Oh, yeah. Don't you like it? Oh, look how cool I look. You know? What do you think about this guy's uh, hair and his little bandana? He's got a little cool. He looks, he looks like any like 80s action comic character. Like, the, um, like something from the X-Men. He... Well, he looks like a character from the Marvel um, Star Wars comics. Mm. Uh, I'm blanking on his name. It's really bothering me because they brought him back for the new ones. Valance. Valance is his name. And he was an Imperial who was uh, heavily damaged in battle. And they brought him back to life and gave him all these cybernetic implants. Uh, And he looks like Valance. It's kind of cool, Will you pick him? I would just because I like Valance. I, I put Jonathan yeah. Blade, but okay, I guess this is Jonathan Blade. He's the uh, he's a former police officer from the year twenty thirty and was dismissed because of his short temper. Temp, temper. He practices kinpo, uh, something about being trapped with scientists. But uh, I do know though by his looks, he reminds yeah. me of one of those like kids from those like uh, Burger King kids meals. Remember what I'm talking about? They had the guy with the wheelchair. Oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about right. Come on, I was the you. Hey, I was. I was. Yeah, no. I love the Burger King Kids Club. I was a fucking co- I was a club um, member. They never. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was too. Um, there's KidVid, who's the one with the remote control. It's like a. Oh, here I got him up here. Jaws. It's Jaws. That's his name. He's the guy who's like, I'm gonna eat those burgers. Yeah, he looks like him. Uh, and he like got the glasses from uh, KidVid. You know what I mean? Like they mix them together. Yeah, yeah. There's IQ. Lingo, <laughs> wheels. The kid in the wheelchair is named Wheels. I know that's so terrible. Boomer, that's so terrible. Boomer is the girl who can play sports. That, what a boomer! What a sports so boomer, dude. Kidvid, Kidvid was my jam though. I love Kidvid. Look at him in the back of the group. He was the coolest. Put him at the front. He's the star. He was the coolest one. Like they had the the Hispanic kid that was just like the most normal dude. Like he has nothing going for him. Like. You know what I mean? Like other characters at least had some. Like wheels had the wheels, bro. When I <laughs> well, Lingo can draw. Oh yeah, okay. And then yeah, IQ. They should do a fighting game with the Burger King Kids Club. Kids. Oh my god, dude, that'd be awesome. Actually, the... with Ezra Miller, <laughs> <laughs> miss opportunity. So this guy's name is yeah. uh, Jonathan Blade, which is very like I don't know, like Sonya Blade from Mortal Kombat. They're like, oh, I don't know, Jonathan Blade, cool. He uh, does Kinbo style. 
Next, we got Jetta Max, which is a young Russian woman from 1899. Uh, I mean, her character, I mean, I wouldn't even know she's from the 1800s. She doesn't, like, dress like from the 1800s. She has, like, this weird, like, modern dress from, like, the last 450. Like, this dress could be from 1970 through now. You know, it's just so generic the way she's dressed. She's dressed very modern. Uh, Jetta Max, so, like, I'm, like... I don't know. Michael Latham, the creator, uh, said this is one of his favorite characters because he likes Chung Li and she's kind of an aerial character. But uh, she's just a okay. typical white woman. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like the blonde white woman with the big old boobies. That's basically it. I mean, what do you think about her? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Just what it is, you know. Hey, if that's a typical white woman, then <laughs> I sign me up. Typical white woman in the video game. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't want to put... I'm sorry. I don't want to put your expectations too high with random people. Because, I mean, if I don't look like Jonathan Blade, then women are going to be disappointed, too. They're like, oh, okay. I thought you were wearing those cool sunglasses from the from KidVid from... Uh... <laughs> no? All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. They wanted a KidVid, and they got a lingo. And so. I think here's where it starts getting interesting, because I like monster characters, like Darkstalkers is my type of game, you know? Mm. And now we have Slash, which is a caveman from a uh, 50,000 50, BC. He obviously does not have an actual fighting style, which when I said every character had its own fighting style, it's like, you, we don't know how they fought in the you know 50,000s, but like um, apparently he uses a lot, a lot of like brutal strikes you know he fights very barbaric i i like these kind of characters because it, it adds to the roster it's like you already have a cyborg you got two hot girls and you got the guy from right. the fucking burger king kids club so you gotta add something to you know spice it up and i think this is uh cool like a like a what do they say those monster uh those 18, 19, 20, what were they called? Warner Brother monster movies or whatever? It kind of reminds me of that. Oh, the Universal yeah, Monsters. The Universal Monster, not Warner Brothers. My bad. Uh, we also got Trident, which this is my favorite character and the most iconic one, which is funny because everyone says Shadow is. But when I saw this, I, I, I always remembered this game because of him because, I don't know, it just you never see a sea creature like this in a fighting game back then. It was always like right. skull. It was, look at this guy, Killer Instincts. This guy's a f- alien with skulls on him. Yeah, all right, but Trident, cool. I like him. Um, yeah, yeah. The next guy is Xavier Pendragon, who is a humble scholar, man, my dude, and he knows oh. alchemy. He's basically the wizard character, and like, look how evil he is. Look at his eyes, dude. I love it. Would you pick this guy? I think he's a little too scary. No. no hell no. I wouldn't be like, fuck. He, why is he smiling? He is, why? why? You're, holding, you're holding a snake. Why are you smiling? Have you ever seen anyone hold a snake and smile before? Nope. Never in my life. I wouldn't trust anyone like that. Mitchell ever. Middleton Knight. Um, he's a white. He's the, he kind of looks like the, the Witcher with a metal hand. He uh, does Jit Kwon Do, the fighting style of Bruce Lee, which is kind of weird because he's not the type of character that would fight like Bruce Lee, in my opinion. You know, he's wearing a trench coat. He looks like a, I don't know, evil? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea how you would even describe him. He's weird. He's like, yeah, he's he's an interesting fellow. I will say I will say <laughs> that Xavier Pindragon and the next guy after this guy the 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 wizard we talked about uh and right 
this guy, uh, Larson Taylor, has, they all got side games, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and so did Shadow. Yeah. He's an ex-cat burglar from 1920s Chicago and worked for the Chicago mob. As you could tell, um, That's right. this is what people in Chicago dress like. Uh, I've obviously, I haven't been there, but if I... If I did, it'd probably... I mean, this is how you dress, right? When you're not in, in your room right now, right? I do. There's actually a hat shop downtown Chicago where I could probably get a hat that looks just like that. And, do, and Maybe I'll do it. And do you know Southern Style Kung Fu? I do. You do? Okay. Just wondering. All right. So, yes. That's what I was practicing at the beginning. I was kind of like trying to... So, if you, if you had to pick... One of these characters to be your favorite champion, your eternal champion. Which one would we be? Would we be picking? Ah, oh, man, this is a tough one. I'd probably have to go with the hometown hero. Oh yeah, and uh, pick Larson. Yeah, I have to do it. He looks like Dick Tracy. I love Dick Tracy. Michael, the guy, the producer, said that he also liked him because he grew up in Chicago. So. He, there you there go. go. Yeah, uh, I was gonna go with Trident just because I like you know Hellboy. You know, monsters are cool. Um, underrated monsters are underrated. Let's just say that they are. Um, gameplay wise, uh, you know what? This is a weird game to talk about gameplay wise because it really did not try to change anything. Fighting games, it really went with what was happening. So. I think Eternal Champions had a lot of things going in terms of art, ideas behind the characters, uh, really setting the mood for what type of game it wanted to be. Um, but I think the part it actually is falls short is the controls. The game is super influenced by Street Fighter 2 and Mortal Kombat. According to Latham, the team didn't want to turn uh, didn't want to turn off fighting games by trying to reinvent the wheel with their own type of gameplay. And uh, what's your opinion on this? Well, like, you know, growing up, a lot of games that you played basically all played the same. Mario kind of did, you know, right. some stuff with platforming, and everybody else is like, well, it's working, so we're we're going to copy the basics. Like, once you picked up a Sonic game, you kind of figured out every other kind of game like that, right? Um, so, right. What, what's your opinion on, like, not breaking? I personally like the idea of not reinventing the wheel. Like, if something's working, you just change it. Well, I mean, I th- I think with any genre, you obviously are targeting players who enjoy that type of game. And so if you are changing the gameplay to the point of someone pick up and playing a fighting or a racing game because they're a fan of that genre and they just can't get into it because they're like, wait, I have to relearn everything? What the hell's going on with this? And I'm trying to think of a game that maybe does that. I would say maybe Wonderful 101. It is a game that when you read about it, you're like, oh, I've I've kind of played games like this before. This sounds fun. It's like a, a like a 3D beat 'em up, right? But with a bunch of characters. That's interesting. And then you pick up and play, and you're like, "Wait, I don't know how to play this game." To the point where they had like 15 minute long instructional videos that that true fans would be like, "You got to watch the video first, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, but you know, um, I I think the best games of the genres like our pick up and play but introduce something new or perfect it to the point of being the ultimate like pure whatever so in my opinion Virtua Fighter is the ultimate pure 3D fighter there's no fatalities there's no big bouncy boobies you know it's the gimmick there is no well yet 
There is no real like gimmick outside of it just being a pure fighter. And you know, same goes with I guess Daytona USA. I think Sega kind of for a time was becoming the company that made the ultimate pure version of that game. Like Sonic one could argue is like the purest platformer out there. Because while Mario is a great platformer, Sonic brings this element of speed into it and, and like pinball physics. Um, and you could call those gimmicks, but to me, it almost felt like Mario was the one lacking and Sonic was the one that really brought everything I expected from a platformer. Um, and so with this, going back to Eternal Champions, like... If Eternal Champions was the ultimate 2D fighter, then we would be talking. But it, to me, it didn't really bring any gimmicks, and it didn't really bring any ultimate 2D fighting, to the point of just being kind of a generic 2D fighter with a lot of emphasis put on the backstory. A game I want to... A weird comparison. Uh, Alpha Protocol. We talked about that recently. That is a game from a studio that had some bold ideas and they implemented it and the game was not perfect, but at the very least in that game, like the bold ideas shone through to the point of people, some people really loving the game. I'd be interested to see if there are hardcore Eternal Champions fans out there. I mean, I don't know if Joaquin who picked this is a hardcore fan, but I'd be interested to know his thoughts because for me playing this game, it's just an okay game. But then again, just like how every movie has one person in the world who will claim that's their favorite movie, every video game has someone out there who will point to that and say, that's my favorite game, no matter the game. It, they exist, you know? Um, this game actually had a lot of promotion before release which is kind of interesting because usually when we talk about these kind of games it's like oh yeah they, they you know they had a a couple commercials whatever this game actually sega really did push it they think they thought it was going to be the next big thing um the first thing we're going to look at here is the uh 7-eleven promotion sega teamed up to uh with 7-eleven stores in the united states according to here on the thing they did it at 5,900 locations um, th wow. They made a Sega Eternal Champions cherry flavor that came with a cup featuring uh, characters from the game. And on the bottom of the cup, there was a tattoo uh, that you could put on so you could be, you know, really cool. Dude, my, dad used to That's neat. my dad used to hate ter temporary tattoos. He thought that if I got a temporary tattoo, I would want one in real life. And I'm like, well, of course I want a tattoo. They're sick. What? What's, That's why everyone had temporary tattoos. Uh Part of the promotion uh, was also to uh, was also to run, I guess, the promotion on MTV. But I never saw footage of it, and I tried to look for it, but no, I couldn't. But it is mentioned on the ad right here somewhere that it will be uh, featured on MTV. Um, so the first picture we have is the ad, which is kind of funny though because this ad right here, the Seven Eleven, ran in um, Sega Visions, and right next to it is the uh, Sega Movie thing where they them Sega and. E MGM did a uh, did a mm -hmm. whole contract. They were gonna make a Sonic the movie or whatever. Never happened. But yeah, it was funny that it, it, you know I just saw it. Here's the cup. This is the Jetta Max cup. I actually think the cups are nice looking. Uh, 
on the yeah. ad they make it seem like it's one of those like cardboard cups but then it's an actual plastic c- cup and then the here's the here are the temporary tattoos and then i also have a picture of the art of the characters they're on the tattoos all of them all one two yeah eight nine of them i thought there was gonna be one missing mm-hmm. but yeah, no nine so uh what's your opinion on this promotion like um personally i i don't know it's a lot because like i've in my lifetime i only remember big movies getting this kind of like exposure right like a 7-eleven uh slurpy flavor like is there any other moment that is not sonic that a game's gotten this type of promotion I, I can't think of any Sega ones that got a 7-Eleven Slurpee promotion, but um, I mean, you know me, I'm a sucker for like food promos. Yeah. And when Deadpool, I think it was one, might have been two, two, I think was coming out. They did a really cool 7-Eleven promotion where there were Slurpee cups mm. um, to collect where he like did different things. Like one, he crossed out Slurp, so it just said P. Uh-huh. Um and then there were also uh, 7-Eleven exclusive um, gummy hands, sour gummy hands. Because remember, he cuts his hands off yeah. and then he has to regrow them and he has little baby hands. Um, and I mean, if, if any Sega game were ever to do that, I'd be there like day one collecting all the cups and getting like the special Sonic hand gummies. <laughs> you know what I oh, mean? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Um, I, I think, it, and the thing is, is that it's the exposure like 7-Eleven and McDonald's have a broader reach than any other like chain in the not just the country but like the world. So oh, yeah. to to have a promotion there is a huge deal and that's why I've been so excited for the Sonic 2 McDonald's promotion because that's insane. I drive past at least like 10 McDonald's. Yeah. And every single I look out the window I'm like there's Sonic there's Sonic. That's the most I've ever seen Sonic since like the early '90s. It's insane. He's everywhere right and now. And so, to give Eternal Champions 7-Eleven promotions, this game was everywhere. This game had more exposure than like some really good Genesis games deserved. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, Streets of Rage. Why was <laughs> like Streets? Of- why wasn't Streets of Rage doing this? That's what I don't understand. It was like obviously. Sega of America is like this is our product and we want to be big. But we've we've seen this before, George. We've seen this when we started with Sega Bits because Sega of America was they go through this cycle where they're like we're the happy company that brings in the Japanese titles, we localize them and we make our money. But they get they get a little um they get the itch, you know? They're like, what if we were the ones making the games and we were the ones making all the money? And then Japan looks to us and goes, oh, you Americans are really showing us. Yeah. And they did that again. And with Iron Man, they tried to make Marvel games. They tried to do um, the Golden Compass. Like, Sega wanted to be like the movie studio game publisher. They even did a... So weird. They, they even did a fighting <laughs> game with... Um... With the guys that did the conduit, remember on the Wii? I forgot what it was called though. It just like came out of nowhere. That's right. That one did not have a Seven Eleven release. I'll tell you that. Mm-mm. Um, they also did a promotion um, with. Uh, they were teaming up with EGM Magazine, and they did this like uh, short uh, United States uh, video game roaming show where they would do a tournament. 
Uh, since this was early in the development of the game, only three, uh, four characters were playable, Larson, Slash, Rax, and Shadow. Um, uh, outside of that, I mean, they have the dates here, and it's like five, six dates, and it's not even one in California. So is that really a tour? I don't know. I mean, I think it's like mm. pretty small, but the this these kind of like live events where people could play them was like very '90s. I don't know if uh, this is something that will ever happen again. Now that we have like conventions and people gather in one spot, back then they would be like, "Oh, your right. local mall, yeah, Sega's coming over next week, and they're going to be playing the next Sonic game or whatever." And it's like, what the, f- what, what? Yes. Uh, and with digital games too, like nowadays, it's just like the demo out. we'll send you a digital code, a demo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a funny bit, but yeah, this is a product of its time. But I, I, I never went to any of these events for Sega back in the day, and I always wish, like, what would it been like to go to these like early Sega events? You know, like just at these weird malls that they randomly uh, just had workers show you games, but. with Don Soap and the Eternal Champions is going to eat your old fighting games for lunch. They changed the name No wonder that it has nine huge warriors, three training modes, and over 315 martial arts modes. Bon appetit. Eternal Champions, only on Sega Genesis. I remember this ad playing and I remember thinking to myself, uh, do you think games, uh, do you think that, that that really happens, you know, like, uh, games even know? I don't know, it was weird, like, it was just a weird ad, like, the fact that it was, like, moving around and stuff, the animation, it always creeped me out and it made me think, how do they do this? How do they, uh, make the box, right. uh, as a kid, you know, it's like, how would I film it? And that, yeah, sorry. Yeah, looking at that, that trailer, like, it makes me realize that what they should have done with Eternal Champions, the gimmick should have been that all the fighters were from different comic books mm. and it basically would have been a comic zone spin-off mm. and you have that guy as one of the fighters but then all the others are like a horror a character from a horror comic and then a character from like a kids cartoon comic and then like uh, a a superheroine from like a image comics kind of ripoff like they should have done that that would have been that, cool that, that actually know. would have been pretty cool like the idea that it's from different media so it'd be like you know how they already had you know you, we had that one 1920s chicago guy right oh he could have been from right a, so he could have been dick tracy exactly, ripoff exactly yeah, yeah you have, and then like you could have done like uh a sonic the hedgehog spoof where it's like a little mascot. cartoon guy coming in yeah and you'd been like Wait, that's like Garfield, you know, or something weird like that. Dude, Sega from 1993, hire us. We're over here. We'll give you a 235-page script. Even better, dude. <laughs> Even better. Anyway, the next one is uh, this really annoying guy talking about video games really close to your face. I hate this ad. I hate this ad, too, but let's play it and hate it. Oh, his eyes. Don't pretty much know what to expect from Eternal Champions. Wait, what's with his eyes? I know well, it maybe moves. Not. You see, it has these nine huge warriors. Worst ads. Why is this? Does this make you want to buy the game, by the way? You may never look no, at it makes me, like, nervous because his eyes are moving around on his head. Welcome to the next level, dude. This is how it is in Sega. I don't like this. This is probably one of the missed. I don't like that. 
that makes me want to vomit at the end where his ear is on his nose. Holy. I can't look at this. It, it bothers you? I'm going to screen capture what I just paused, and I'm just going to throw it up on our Twitter with no comment. <laughs> and I want to see what people... Oh, is this that uh, Eternal Champions commercial that I like so much? I'm just going to say Happy Monday. And I'm just going to throw that up there. So if you're if you're watching this, you can look at my Monday post and see this image. Oh, my God. This is what happens when you play Don't Eternal show me this. Champion. I hate it. Good. Good. Uh, the next ad we have is a print cocky ad. Basically, to prepare for Eternal Champions, use Street Fighter 2 as your training wheels. And uh, obviously, this is uh, playing up the fact that, I mean... I guess there's always been this whole, like, hardcore image, you know? Like, oh, that's for babies, that game right there. And always playing down your competition that way. Um, Obviously, Street Fighter's a lot better than Eternal Champions. Sorry. But uh, what's... Right. What's your opinion on this ad? I hate... Though, like, the layout. I hate this... Well, I hate that form of advertising when you're bashing the competition, but you haven't proven yourself yet. Because if you are a bad game, then you just look like garbage. Like, um, imagine if in the lead up to uh, Morbius releasing, they were like, sorry, kids, Sonic 2 is going in the trash. It's Morbius time. And then, like, the movie comes out and you're like, oops. <laughs> Guess not. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine? They're like, you saw Spider-Man all... More like garbage, man. You imagine if, imagine if the Morbius trailers leading up to it bashed another Sony movie, and they're like, "No way home." More like, "No way, homie." And it's like, guys, this is our movie too. We're all the same studio. No way, Morbius is here. Screw Spider Man. Um, I would say that you're really like going down a fine line when you're making fun of like another you know game and like sega did it too and sometimes i'm like not this time but there's some times where sega would be like all right i I see what you're doing here like it worked because you actually had video games like you had sonic the hedgehog it'd be weird if it was like green dude kid chameleon a a weird boxing game you've made and then like uh right some other random game that sucked and you're like uh, oh nintendo sucks (laughs) They got Super Super Mario Kart. Psh. Right, but it it worked when they did the Sonic comparison. Remember, they're oh. like, what's that over there? The two TVs, and be like, oh, this is Super Mario World. What's that one? Ah, you don't want to look at that. It's just Sonic the Hedgehog. You yeah. know, like, and, uh, that worked. I think it also, I mean, and in context of that time period, there was a lot of, like, uh, articles and, like, I guess, media press talking about how the Sega Genesis didn't have enough colors to stand up to the Super Nintendo. So, like, that's why right. that commercial worked so well, because you see them... Ne- side to side and even now as a gamer like i like mario i like the super nintendo uh but there's just something weird and special about the way that they designed sonic the hedgehog and the way it looks and the colors they used and how vibrant it looks yes it has less colors but i don't think it matters but yeah no i agree it works sometimes not this time i agree with that one um so regardless of the game having less than stellar reviews the game would go on to be the best-selling game for the uk in february of 1994 um it actually went on to sell two million copies i didn't put it in the notes but according to the team it did over two million copies which in this time period is a huge 
huge, huge accomplishment. EGN's writers were mixed, uh, but the magazine still gave the game a 91%, considering that Sega actually paid them to do promotion. Who knows how much of this <laughs> came to, you know, with the, with the score. The game, according to the creators, we, oh, yeah, I already said that, yeah. and, and it did get some spinoffs and um, tie-ins, which we'll talk about very little here. So the first one we got is... Uh, uh, Eternal Champion Special Move Edition by Tiger Electronics was part of their pocket ah. arcade line of LC- LCD yeah. handhelds. Uh, this was actually the first one in the series and was designed by cartoonist I.B. Nelson uh, in about a month. Uh, what's your history with Tiger Electronics? What's your opinion on these kind of like tie-in toys they used to make back in the day? Right, yeah. So I, one of my earliest uh, Tiger electronic toys was the Sonic 2 Mm. Tiger game. I have it up on my shelf behind me there. I also had the uh, Nightmare Before Christmas one. And I think Tiger electronic games are at their best when they kind of play like Game & Watch, where they're a very simple game made specifically for that sort of LCD setup. Um the Sonic one is actually pretty playable, um, but the one that actually is really fun is the Nightmare Before Christmas one because it's more of a kind of um, timing game where you're going across rooftops and if you see a chimney, you drop a present, and if something's above you, you duck. You know, it's very simple. Um, fighting games, though, I think do not translate well to these types of games, especially when they have different players you select because what they do is they have a base body and then the arms and legs are typically like the same for everyone even like the women will have male arms and legs and then the heads will change just by like the face will be here but then they'll put a ponytail on the top and so it doesn't really look like the character from the game because they have one base body for every like a dozen or yeah exactly um i actually own a ton of the pocket arcade games i don't own this one but I do have Knights, um, Virtua Fighter. Uh, what else do I have? I have a racing one. I have Sonic 3. And so I haven't played them all because I actually have never opened them. I found them at a uh, discount store in like the early 2000s for a buck seventy nine each. And at that time, even I knew like little, these are collector's yeah. items. <laughs> you know, I'm like Knights into Dreams Tiger game unopened. I'm going to leave this sealed. Um but I really, what I really like about the pocket arcade ones, though, is that they did these like flip phone sort of gimmicks. So this one's unique. I've never seen the um, screen pivoting out. I was gonna ask, but I can imagine that's it's sweet. Like imagine folding that in and then just push that button and it comes this, out. This, this, I like that. Like I think that's it cool. Swivels out like uh, like yeah. yeah, it swivels. Yeah, I was gonna ask you, but I that. bet I bet they didn't stick with this because when you have the screen on a pivot thing like that. It can cause problems. Oh, like yeah. there are electronics connecting there, and if you move them enough times, like the cables will stop sending, you know, like power to the screen. So it probably they probably stop doing these for that reason. And this one also has Jonathan Blade on the cover, which is funny that everyone said Shadow was like the most knowing character, but like uh, Jonathan Blade is always on almost every piece of promotional material that's what the interesting bit is um outside of this do you think there's a lot of tiger collect tiger electronic collectors out there is there a market for it kind of like funko pop or pez 
Um, I don't know if it's at Funko Pop levels, but probably, I, maybe not even Pez, yeah. but there is a collector's community out there now. Um, I think Tiger Electronics toys were utter garbage up until the 2010s when, you know, this is all, this always happens with video game collecting. There will be a niche that is super cheap and easy to get into. And then once um, enough people realize it's there, the prices go up and then people get priced out of it. Um, For the longest time, Sega Master System was super cheap to collect. I was going to stores and they wouldn't even put them on shelves. They'd just go, oh yeah, we got a stack in the back. And I'd go and I'd I'd buy like amazing RPGs for five bucks each. Now those games are put behind the shelf in plastic for $500. And I'm honestly... I don't. I don't think any Tiger games are super expensive now. Um, Dreamcast is super expensive. I just saw a guy yesterday saying that he was trying to buy VMUs and he offered the guy a hundred dollars for a plain white VMU and a plain uh, see-through red VMU, which is like super common. Yeah. And I'm like, a hundred dollars for no caps on them, and they're two VMUs. Those things are like. They were like ten bucks. They were like five dude, bucks. You'd be able to buy two brand new ones on Amazon for like twelve bucks, like way less, like in box. Like I'm not I'm saying brand new, like see through green, see through uh, blue, the blue one they did. I picked right. up a few just to have the boxes because I didn't have the boxes on the other ones. But whatever, um, that's how it's the insane. market is. Um, this, I was talking about the game you you played. Uh, Sega would give the team another chance where they semi-sequel and i call it semi-sequel because that's what the team called it for sega cd mm-hmm. called eternal champions challenge from the dark side which latham said uh, wasn't their full idea for the sequel but was part two of the tri- trilogy the team pitched to sega i don't want to get too much into the game details because we might do an episode in the future who knows but i will say it's a terrible cover like this cover if i just saw it randomly in a uh in like a store shelf i'm like is this a ch- chinese menu am i am i gonna eat some food here but uh what's your <laughs> opinion on the cover for the sega cd uh yeah it does look like a chinese menu yeah it's even worse on the uh, <laughs> it's very boring in the uk one they like use these really bad cgi models that look even worse so huh but you can see why i thought this was like the equivalent of mickey mania on on Sega CD, oh, yeah. where it was just an updated version, because yeah. Challenge from the Dark Side does not read as Two. a sequel name. It, yeah, it just reads like a slogan. Yeah, um, you know. Even when they did like Street Fighter Alpha, you knew it was a new game. You know, so my thing is like right. they needed something to make it seem like a new game. Also, how little effort they put into the front cover probably gave you that idea too. It's like, oh yeah, here, here, here you go. Um. So the game would actually go, uh, would go on to have two released uh, spinoff titles uh, set in the game's alternative universe. The first one was Chicago Syndicate, an action game on the Game Gear in 1995. This was the story mm-hmm. of Larson when he did not die in the 1920s and seeks revenge against the mafia. The second was Expert, which almost sounds like pervert, or like, I don't know, like Sexpert or something. Um <laughs> Sexpert yeah, a, or Qbert. Yeah, it's a weird name. But uh, a side-scrolling beat-em-up from 1996. Same idea as the Chicago Syndicate. This one is Shadow Never Died, and she seeks revenge against the Syndicate. 
Um, have you played these games? Have you heard much about these games? Because like, I'm always shocked when I hear about no. them. I've never heard of these, and I'm... And even if I have seen them, I would have just skimmed right by them, not knowing that they are Eternal Champions spinoffs. And I think what they needed to do was have a logo, kind of like the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, where they're just like Star Wars the world story. of Eternal Champions. A Star Wars story, or a yeah. Star Wars story. Yeah, like, well, just the Star Wars logo in general. You're like, well, that's Star Wars. Yeah. But, it meant, you know, when The Mandalorian was first announced, they did not have the Star Wars logo on it. And then I think they were like, we got to put that on there. We can't make a show without the Star Wars logo. I have to agree. You know. And, and you also, know. like, the Chicago Syndicate, I would never would have, like... Like, if I never played Eternal Champions, I only saw posters, and then I saw the Chicago Syndicate, I'd be like, is this... Like, it looks like a Dick Tracy ripoff game, you know what I mean? And and then experts, none of the characters... Like, Shadow on the cover is literally wearing a white dress. Like, it doesn't even look like her right. from the video game at all, like, outside of the domino mask that she had on, but... So, that that, that that's kind of weird. The, uh, the, oh, what? Oh, okay, here we go. Uh, we have uh, Eternal Champions also had two adventure books, can you believe this? Where readers nice. could, could take control of the newest champions that travel through time, helping other in-game characters battle crazy AI called the Overlord. Um, obviously, the wizard character and uh, Larson got their own books. Uh, who was the who? Who is this penguin uh, publisher? They're pretty big because I've seen them in big books. So I just can't remember their name right now. They published um, it. They have a little cute penguin logo with a circle. Yeah, that's that's penguin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's weird, like how much content there is for the Eternal Champions universe. That's the crazy bit about it, this whole thing. That I learned when I was researching right. this. Uh, well, you know, when when I just recently interviewed the the guy who wrote the um, Sonic novel movie novelizations, and they were for Penguin Random House. So mm. did, did, Penguin did books. He, did he, Penguin did a lot of Sonic books. Did they? Uh, oh, I guess they did a lot of video game. I thought they only did like classic literature, like uh, Eternal Champions Adventure Game Book Number One and Number Two. <laughs> They did Sonic Adventure game books, too. Oh, yeah. That same series had Sonic books. Huh. Well, it's weird that Eternal Champions was next to, like, <laughs> Sonic. It's like, I guess Sega of America really did believe a lot in Eternal Champions. Um, they, also, uh, yeah. they also got a... Uh, uh, where is it at here? Well, they got a comic book, basically, um, called Eternal Champions Special Edition. And it was part of the Sonic the Comic from the UK that focused on the new video game. Um, it was basically a promotional issue. It, it was released between Sonic uh, issues number 19 and 20. But there was like literally no tie-in to Sonic. It was literally just made to promote the video game in the UK. Uh, the art's cool. Mm -hmm. The cover looks cool. I mean, it is what it is. I never read this. I don't know what it's about, but... A lot of video games back then had these like comic book tie-ins. We did the, I think Shinobi we talked about having one, and I think uh, I forgot what other one. But regardless, um, they're kind of tossaways. Has there ever been a comic book like this that they released that made you go, "Oh, okay, I'm getting this video game now." Um, you know, I I read the Virtua Fighter comic years before actually playing Virtua Fighter, and I. I kind of remember wanting to play the game. Um, 
I also read a Jello gelatin comic book that made me really like Jello. Oh, so. really? That's sick. I didn't know that. <laughs> Jello Man. Um, they turned a box of Jello into a person. I have to read that. Maybe I'll change my mind on Jello. Yeah. I'm not a big fan, but I'm a minor fan. You will be. Um, the the next bit is actually kind of an interesting bit and kind of like has some controversy on the internet. Um, Sega for a while still wanted to continue Eternal Champions, the brand, and even uh, had Eternal Champions, the final chapter, planned for the Sega Saturn. According to Latham, the game only had a 20-page 20, 20 concept art script thing before being canned by Sega Japan, who did not want competition for uh, Virtual Fighter, which... To me, it's kind of weird. Maybe somebody told them that. Um, um, what's uh, what's your opinion on that? Like, do you really think that Sega Japan was like, oh, this game just sold two million copies? Yeah, don't make a third one. Or do you think that the side games, the adventure books, the all this other media they put into it, do you think they just bombed? Because like, maybe they saw that it just was not paying off. It was so much effort for something that was just not seeing the results that they were expecting. I mean, think Eternal Champions is kind of like being treated like uh, as the sonic boom of its time. Yeah. Like they're like let's do comic books, let's do these promotions. And you know, there are aspects of it that does do well enough to continue on, but like clearly the games were not that. And clearly the comics like I don't think anything really stuck with Eternal Champions unfortunately. It's not like we're looking back and going, well, at least the comic books were awesome. And uh Another um, thing that kind of makes me think no is like Sega AM2 couldn't release enough fighting games on the Sega Saturn. Like literally, I'm surprised there was a Sonic for the fighting. There was like they did that. They did Virtual right. Fighter. They did Virtual Fighter Kids. They did, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, was that Bronx Rumble? Uh, was it Last Bronx? There was uh, mm-hmm. Virtual uh, Fighting Vipers, you know, and then fight, uh, Fighting Mega Mix, etc. All this on Sega Saturn. And they're like, Eternal Champ? Nah, nah. We're good. You stay over there. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe there's something else going on. But this is around the time the studio went under. So, maybe that also has something to do with it. Um, the right. idea would be that the final chapter would have a second set of fighters called the Infernals. And then a third force added called the Chaos. Who would uh, basically Ooh. fight uh, for the timeline on both ends. And they even said it was going to have a... Uh, 30 possible endings so you could affect time it would change the ending uh you the only look we actually got on the game was on early sega saturn boxes down here on the right bottom right hand corner of a box there was a little picture with this like like magneto looking guy with his white hand on the screen after that Mm. we never got anything from it ever again it's like super tiny huh wow yeah, it is. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess a lot of people didn't even know about this until the interview came out, and then they went in and saw the box, and they're like, oh, wait, he wasn't lying. It is on the box. Um, <laughs> it Back in 2017, though, uh, Michael Lathams actually wanted to come back and bring back uh, Eternal, uh, Eternal Champions. Do you remember this? I he do. wanted to call yes. the idea Eternal Successors uh, to succeed the brand. He would go online and release some uh, some test renders on the Unreal 4 engine, uh, how he planned to make the game look. He says if, 
he said capturing the art style is very very important and he released a, tr a picture with trident on in his level which i think he actually captured the level and the sunset look exactly like the pixel game in 3d which is pretty impressive for being by himself so uh he, he had another picture of just the stage and then he had a picture of an overkill or overt kill um what was your opinion on bringing it back uh, i think at the time i was a little iffy on it i do know that people were excited about it that grew up with it um and also, they brought back uh, Killer Instincts, which is a game that's sort of like this at the time, and it was doing all right for right. Microsoft. Uh, but yeah, like fighting games has kind of had a comeback in the last five, six years, right? Right. Yeah. What's your? Yeah, I mean, if it had a competent team behind it who were you know skilled in three D fighters, I I think it could have been fun, but it almost kind of gives me shades of Shenmue 3 where it's like Yu Suzuki going, I'm making a modern sequel to Shenmue. And it's like, you haven't made a game in a long time. Are you able to make this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of hesitation. And, you know, I, I personally, I think Yu Suzuki did pull it off. There were some elements of Shenmue 3 I don't think were that great. But I don't know. Looking at this, yeah, I'd, I'd be a little hesitant. I'd be like, you know, it's a demo, in Unreal Engine 4, but can you actually pull off an entire game? I don't know. If he did a Kickstarter, I probably would have done it if the, like, the rewards were really good. I'm surprised he didn't try it because like True. there was that fight in EX Layer that's a little janky and they, and, it, and it sold a bit. You know, Fans like it. I don't know if you ever played the fighting EX Layer games back in the day. They're basically... No, no. They're, they're, you know the Street Fighter? You know when they made like three Street Fighting fighting games randomly? They were called like Street Fighter EX or whatever and they were like yeah, mm -hmm. the, those games are literally fighting the X layer. The same developers they just like skinned them with uh, Capcom characters for for uh, for Cap uh, for Capcom basically. They're just known for being janky and you could do like over the top combos. But yeah, they they made a new game randomly because fans wanted it so badly, and uh, they did an okay job at it. I mean, you're not gonna get a professional Capcom fighting game from an indie developer, but. I mean, That's I do true. like the art style on it. It's sad that he never actually did more with it. Uh, and we'll never see it. So th that sucks. But uh, I will say one thing that the game is known for that uh, people is kind of surprising is, you know, this rap group called Bone Thugs in Harmony, man? I yeah, do. Wow. Yeah, yeah. In their 1995 album, E, 1999 Internal. It's funny that it came out in 1995 and the album's called E, 1999. I guess... Dreamcast, right? Uh, is said to be right. loosely inspired by the game, not just the title for the album, but also uses in-game samples, including the BIOS theme for the track Eternal, and the band in... Uh, oh, yeah, they also... Uh, the song Crossroads, which is their most popular song, the original version of the song had a uh, the theme song, the ending theme song playing as a sample. Uh, that... Crossroads song would go on to get remixed and becomes become the group's biggest single and earn them a Grammy. So something wow. out of Eternal Champions actually won a Grammy in the end. You know that's crazy. Not a lot of uh, Sega games could say that they helped make a Grammy. And yeah. also, good for Bone them. Thugs and Harmony has that that song first of the month, which uh, has this like 
shot of a gas station showing 99 cents or like less than a dollar gas and it makes me like cry i'm like oh my god imagine if gas was a dollar today i wouldn't be here right (laughs) now anyway that's all the notes i have for this episode anything you want to uh, add before we close it up and read the patreon memories um you know i i guess you know this game exists at a time and a place in Sega's history where they were trying to be more than what they were, especially in the um, Americas and I guess uh, European regions. And it didn't pay off, but I'm glad that this game has its fans. And to be quite honest, it got a lot more than I think it deserved, which its fans probably appreciated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, getting novels, comics. I mean, think of all the games that we loved that had one release and didn't see anywhere near this level of, uh, you know, promotion. Dead Star Heroes, so. imagine that. If they actually did a bunch of cool stuff like that in America. Oh my God, that'd be insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, should I read the yeah. memories of our Patreon pals? All right, well, if you support us on Patreon at any level, you get to share your memories and we read them at the end of the show. So we have two here. We have one from Ben Hayward. He says, It really made me laugh to see the Patreon post call uh, this an almost but forgotten game because my only Eternal Champions memory involves literally forgetting this game. It's one of the preloaded games on one of my At Games Mega Drive clones, but I didn't realize. And I then went and picked up the cart from a, a local secondhand store. I guess I have doubled the incentive to get in and play it properly. My initial read of the manual turned me off a bit as the move sets and various combinations of moved seems a little complex. I really like the classic Mortal Kombat's and I'm particularly fond of just spamming the same moves over and over again. It seemed that this game doesn't work quite that way. Still, you've given me a good reason to give it a proper try. I think I own one of the at games. I should plug it in and see if it has this game on it. Um, Sam Torres says, Really? Eternal Champions right after Anarchy Reigns? Can I get a side of Iron Phoenix? Well, no, that's not the next one. But I remember looking forward to EC's release, buying it at my local EB Games, um, but having to sit through Sister Act 2 before I could go home and open it up to see what it was like. My first several battles were losses. It felt like I was losing back-to-back bouts against Midnight. Um, boom. Then the Vietnam stage overkill happens to me. I was totally impressed. About two days of learning moves and getting used to the somewhat slower than Street Fighter 2 timing down, I made it to the Eternal Champion. Got rocked. Still love this game to this day. Wish the Saturn sequel would got its day, but I'm grateful the internal team, internal team at Sega did what they did. They have my respect. Shadow Yamoto Slurpy Pog is still on my wish list. There you go. <laughs> Cheers. And See, so we did find a fan. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff you could collect and like you have two side game spin-offs, you got the Sega CD game, you got two adventure books to read, a lot of Eternal Champion right. stuff to to collect and keep in your room. Yeah. Um and, what are we covering next time? We are going to be talking about Vanquish. Ooh, I play that game. The Platinum Games classic. Yeah, I need to get back into playing that. I haven't played that in years. But, oh, um, I, I beat it. It's over 10 years old yeah, now. Yeah, I beat it recently for the yeah. 10th year anniversary. Um, you're mm-hmm. in for a treat. It's actually a pretty good game. It's not too long, so you, I think you'll enjoy it. No. 
Yeah, I have, and I will again. Thank you guys for watching. And you will. Catch you guys on the next episode of Sega Talk. Bye. Bye.